0: this is Jane Gunn, the corporate peacemaker and author of How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom. And this podcast is about how we can gain a better understanding of some of the aspects of conflict to help us lead happier and more productive lives. Well, today I'm so excited to be speaking to Peter Adler, who's president and CEO of the Keystone Centre, this is a centre which applies consensus building and cutting-edge scientific information to energy, environmental and health-related policy problems. So, Peter, welcome.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, I wish I could be there in person with you, but this is great. Yeah. So, greetings from America, where winter has just started.
0: Yes, you told me it's got, what degrees did you say? Minus something already today? Uh, uh, Minus, uh, I
1: think it must be minus 15 Celsius, and we just had a big snowfall. So I'm up in the Rocky Mountains, up in the spine of America, and uh, and near the Continental Divide, which is where we are headquartered.
0: Yes, so it's not quite that cold here yet, but... Um, now, Peter, you are also the author of a book called Leadership in the Eye of the Storm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you came to write that?
1: I'm delighted to do that. So I, I've, for a number of years, let me back up. The, the, the projects and cases that I work on and that my colleagues here at the Keystone Center work on are intensely political cases, and they do involve very tough, Issues around energy development, energy transmission, public health issues uh, such as vaccination policies and whether they should be imposed, and uh, lots of environmental issues over uh resilience in the landscape and sustainability. So at any one time we had a, a portfolio of maybe forty projects in our pipelines. And over the years uh I've become acutely aware that the resolution, if you will, of these kinds of conflicts takes some joint leadership. It takes a certain form of collaborative leadership, and um, maybe that's not different from any other dispute or, or conflict. But when you have lots of stakeholders, lots of parties, and you have you're considering new policies, new regulations, new laws, and you have a group gathered around you, at the end of the day, it is about their leadership and they're, and rising to the challenge of, of converting themselves from adversaries to joint goal partners. Mm. So that, that really led me to try to think through what does this look like to leaders in the civil sector, in government, in industry, and could I write something that might have utility for them? So I tried to write a book, uh, and did write a book, that is uh, aimed at leaders, both at national levels, state levels, regional levels, local library, could be leaders at any different level. And I want to make sure that this conflict resolution becomes a part of the leadership repertoire that our leaders have. So I wrote, wrote this book, uh, and I never used the word "media." I think I use the word mediation just once.
0: Mm. I wanted
1: to get away from the language that carries lots of different meanings. So that's the origin of the book.
0: And what do you find, Peter, with these complex uh, kind of disputes or, or conflicts uh, in public in the public arena or in large companies are the, are the key kind of issues that you come across?
1: Well, like any other conflict, they may be at various stages of escalation. Mm. Uh, sometimes we uh, really like to try to bring a group together uh, through Keystone's platform and engage them before something really turns terrible and uh, you know becomes so entrenched that it's much harder to deal with it. So some of this is about gathering uh, really good thought leaders together from uh, diverse sectors and anticipating a problem and trying to head off a train wreck. And other times, it is a train wreck, and we have to go in and be the repairman and help work it through to the highest and best consensus possible. So we're working at both ends of the spectrum, sort of the prevention of an impending um, piece of uh, conflict and at the other end resolving a conflict that has actually arisen.
0: And Peter, are you finding that organizations are more receptive to the idea of preventing conflict these days?
1: Yeah, I think we have a methodology that uh, where we do a lot of reconnaissance and assessment before we bring anybody to the table. So uh, we spend a fair amount of time uh, really examining an issue, and sometimes we find the timing is not right, the political timing is not right or the parties are not quite ready to come to the table. So, and we're guided by this by some really intelligent people on our board of trustees mm-hmm. who come from the industry, come from their ex-government people, their academics, and they understand what it is we're trying to do, and they become the eyes and ears and ambassadors to help bring people to the table at the right moment. So we do a lot of upfront work before we'll ever get uh, people to the table. And that upfront work really informs what will happen in the process
0: and peter you are now trying to apply what you've learned in in these larger public bodies into smaller um private companies is that right
1: yes sometimes we're called upon to work just within one organizational unit Uh, for example i'm working uh, right now with a law firm that is uh, going through some real serious internal questions about their future and a lot of it has to do with a changing legal market so i've been brought in to help develop a, uh, a conversation and then a strategy that will lead them on for the next five years as they navigate the kind of tricky waters that they're in. So uh, sometimes it's just with yeah, that. Or we work with a particular, you know, government agency, the Center for Disease Control. Uh, but more often, I would say the, the, the peak work that we really do is when we bring everybody together to work on a particular problem. And I can give you some examples of that. Yes. Yeah. Uh some colleagues of mine here at the Keystone Center right now are presiding over two years of discussions that will try to solve a lot of problems on the entire eastern half of the United States with transmission lines and the development of smart grids that don't connect very well. they're antiquated. And you have many different public utilities and many different advocacy groups. We've got them all around the table and had them there for a year and they will be continuing to work towards the development of an integrated transmission grid. Um, another example, we have been talking and facilitating a set of meetings on trying to develop a new chemicals policy, a chemicals management policy for the United States. The, the laws that govern that are very antiquated uh, and increasingly in a global economy, they're gonna, the American chemical companies have to deal with the European chemical companies and with others in other parts of the world. So there's a lot of issues, we have them around the table, we're talking with them, we're they're making good headway and trying to reconcile differences that would ultimately lead to the rewriting of some very antiquated laws. So we have lots of interesting projects, some on greening of supply chains and creating the acceleration of green products into the marketplace. Another one dealing with sustainable agriculture and with, uh, you know, landscape assessment projects in the Forest Service. So we have... Quite a variety of projects, but what characterizes them all is that they're intensely political, uh, they have a public affairs issue at stake, and the, the goal is to try to bring the highest and best actionable consensus possible together.
0: That's, I mean, they sound fascinating projects, Peter, and yet I guess underneath are the same principles of conflict resolution that we all as mediators work with, whether it's between two people, To companies or, or to, or several communities as you're, as you're working with.
1: I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think that the values and the assumptions and many of the tools and techniques and skills that we apply in, uh, disputes that are within the boardroom or within family settings or within organizational settings or that are within communities and neighborhoods, the same basic principles apply. But I think they, they play out a little differently, and they roll out a little differently. One of the things I've learned, um, and I don't know if this is the same as it might be in the UK, but uh, I've learned to use a different language as we talk to people about coming to the table. Uh-huh. Uh, and I tend not to talk about the words mediation and facilitation too much. I'm actually much more interested in trying to invent forms that are comfortable for uh, people. So if I say, "Would you like to come to a mediation?" most people say, "No, thanks. I, we're not we're not interested in that." And they have a lot of images about mediators that are they're going to turn them upside down, and shake all the money out of their pockets, or <laughs> they're gonna get more facilitators who are going to drown them in a wallpaper and yeah. become claustrophobic. So I don't use those words very much. I'm trying to redescribe what it is we do and make it much more accessible and user friendly for other people. So I might say let's have a roundtable discussion, let's have a workshop, let's have a study group, let's have a dialogue. And those words uh, resonate much more with people.
0: That's fascinating. I mean I've always found that the words conflict and mediation and so on seem to be such a turn-off to companies that it's good to find an alter... because really we're just facilitating a conversation, aren't we?
1: Well, that's right. In and, and, and the and, we're doing it with, uh, I think, in these public issues with uh, a, a lot of attention to what I would call joint fact-finding, where they really have content contentious science. They really see things differently, like climate debates, climate change debates. And so you have to work through uh, some of the factual issues, and you have to do that in any uh, mediated process. But I think in these public affairs matters, it becomes actually paramount. I'd also say... One of the things that I'm very interested in is different sorts of diagnostics for different sorts of problems, and there's a category of problems that I would call routine uh, problems and routine problem solving, and uh, I uh, and then there's another category which I think these public issues and many others fall into, which is non-routine uh, yeah. problem solving, and I think we have uh, I, I know that when I talk with Perspective participants and stakeholders, we're much more interested in talking about problems and problem solving than they are about conflict.
0: Really? And so, what would you, how would you define a non-routine problem, Peter?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm working my way through that and actually making it a weird route. But I think that uh, the non-routine problems don't lend themselves to uh, kind of an algorithm, if you will. Yes. A simple problem right, is, you know, you first you do this, then you do that, and then third you do this, and then fourth you do this, Yes. if you haven't done it yet, you have to go back to three and do it over again.
0: Yes.
1: So, uh, and that's a simplistic problem-solving model when you start asking questions like, what should be our national transportation policy? Yeah. that That, uh, that routine problem-solving doesn't work. So the non-routine problems really require different sorts of diagnostics, uh a much broader span of information that needs to come in. Uh they there are need to discover the some of the patterns and value systems that are at play and the very different value systems and begin to find those sweet spots where they can some of those can be uh reconciled. So for me, this, this uh and even the language. Very often, we don't really solve a lot of these big problems. We tame the problems. Mm. We knock off the rough edges on some of them and, and tame it so that it becomes more tractable. So I think the non-routine problems are the ones that are most interesting and where we, people who have the skills that you have tame, that I have, that our colleagues and friends have, go, that's the place where we can do a lot of good work.
0: I think it's just fascinating what you're saying, Peter, because I think that there are so many. I mean, if you've only got to open the newspaper these days, haven't you, or any time really to see that much of what the world is grappling with is really, in essence, conflict. And yet we don't routinely apply the principles that you and I do in a mediation to some of the things that are going on around us. And yet the opportunity to do that is there all the time. If only we had, as you're creating, the structure to bring people together and create simply a conversation or a communication about what they value most and what they want to do about it.
1: I, I think that's right. And I think we're, you know, even though the mediation field, if you will, has been around for the last 30 years, I think it is entering into some new frontiers as we try to take on problems that have bigger scale, uh, have more intense politics that touch more of the Sort of very tough political uh, fighting that goes on in our in your parliaments and our Congress, and uh, I, I mean I think as we do this, we're going to have to get much better and sharper and more diagnostic in the way we approach those things, and I think we can do it. I'm very optimistic.
0: So it sounds as though uh, your skills were needed in uh, in Europe this week, I think Peter. <laughs> well, I think we budget discussions.
1: We could use you here in the United States. Maybe we can arrange a switch off sabbatical or something. Uh-huh.
0: So Peter, if if people listening want to find out more about your work, how would they contact you or read more about you?
1: Well, I'm I'm very easily reachable to you by email at PADLER at keystone.org. Padler at Keystone.org. And there's a lot of information on Keystone's website. Uh, there's also lots of articles. I can, am delighted to share that with other people who might be interested and be in touch with them. So, Fantastic. most happy to reach
0: out. Peter, it's been um, fascinating talking to you as ever. Um, I've really enjoyed it. And as always, it's all too short. Um, but do you have one last piece of advice for listeners or a thought that you might like to leave them with?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I actually think once, uh, for if some of your listeners are already trained mediators and facilitators, I really urge them to uh, scale up their repertoire of techniques and skills and become what one friend of mine called me in an introduction. He said, Peter, you're a heat-seeking missile. And <laughs> we tend to wait for the conflicts to come to us, and I think yes. we we'll go to them. and I start we're finding really smart strategies for bringing people to the table and making some headway.
0: I love that. Let's end on that. Let's all become heat-seeking missiles. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much for your time.
1: All best, Jane. I hope to see you again. I hope to get over to the UK sometime soon and yeah. look forward to getting together.
0: Great. Thank you, Peter. So
1: long.